This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, or whatever. You don't know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals capusta, bumpy, pierogi, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Yakshamash, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys go to Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com. It's the SB Nation site dedicated to the Wisconsin Badgers. For all your Badgers news, notes, discussion, I am Jay Kokorowski, writer, editor at B5Q. We got the Polish rifle, Scotty Wisniewski, here. And we got a, a big show, obviously, it just less than 24 hours away from the 2015 NFL draft in Chicago. Wish we were there. Kenosha's own Melvin Gordon, where well, and former Wisconsin Badger, Heisman finalist, where will he go? Where will he land? Uh, we'll talk with Brian Caribou of 24-7 Sports and Cheesehead TV in about 10 minutes, about nine minutes, I'd say. Uh, and we'll also, of course, ask him where the Green Bay Packers will Select who will they select? Will even maybe, maybe you know, where will they select? Will they trade down if if, if the player they don't, they want is not available, or they feel they can gain more, which you've seen from Ted Thompson in the past? We'll talk with him about that. Obviously later on, two Bucks game six. I'm saying a bold prediction. Uh, I'll save that for later uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks, and obviously we'll talk a little Brewers them. Ryan, Ryan Braun, two home runs, including a grand slam in their 8-3 to three victory today. We'll recap all that, but Scott, the big news, obviously, like I said, mentioned, less than 24 hours away from the NFL draft. And I don't know, I, I know, I think, I mean, I remember as a kid, this is a, this is a big thing as a kid, where I would sit down in front of my parents' television uh, on a Saturday afternoon when it was in Radio City Music Hall and just sit with a pad of paper Player, height, weight, college, round, overall. I would just sit and watch for hours. And so, uh, you know, for me, it, it, yeah, maybe I'm this part of that generation that loves these drafts. Uh, but I always get a little excited just because it's it, 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 obviously players' lives are changed uh, from different situations and, and teams yeah. obviously picking. You, you always have those fans, too, that always like to show their opinion. But uh, your thoughts yeah. coming up on, on this draft that – the Packers need to explore to, to grab some need uh, at certain positions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. Um, I, you know, first of all, the draft seemingly one of the more, especially lately now that it's a three day affair, uh, overhyped, but, but it's still, you know, something that you, people will be glued to even on Saturday when you get into the, uh, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. But um, <clears throat> as far as the Packers go, you know, we've been surprised in the past, but I, I, don't, I think everybody thinks they're going to go either cornerback or linebacker and multiple position, multiple times at that position. But in the first round, I've seen a couple different names, and, and obviously we'll talk with Brian about this, but I've seen Marcus Peters and Eric Kendricks, uh, inside linebacker from UCLA, and Jalen Collins, uh, the cornerback from LSU. There have been a few names, but all the names I've seen bandied about are players that fill a need at a position of need for the Green Bay Pack. Absolutely. And, I mean, I'm not even just looking at NFL.com right now, and you have stuff ranging from, you said, you know, uh, you mentioned them, you know, Byron Jones, a cornerback out of Connecticut, Jalen Collins, uh, you know, on a couple of the NFL.com analysts, are predicting that uh, the LSU cornerback uh, who's had uh, yeah, there's been stuff in the news come up about him, but even like a guy like Randy Gregory who from Nebraska who had some issues uh, just with dealing with yeah, uh, I don't, you know there's some ter- I, I quote unquote red flags, but yeah, I don't I don't see him going outside with their linebacker. I think if they're they're going to grab a guy that's more of a fit on the inside. As far as the cornerback, I've seen Byron Jones as well. I don't know that they're going to go Connecticut. I think that if 
Thompson likes to roll the dice, it's usually on big school kids, especially in the first round. So right. I think I think the LSU kid, um, you know, Collins definitely fits that bill a little bit more in that mo of what Ted Thompson is looking for. But you know, I, I think it, you got to look beyond the first round because he needs to find a, another cornerback that could start if you need him to, and an inside linebacker that can start almost right away. So he's going to have to come out of this draft with two starters in the first couple picks, and and they don't pick again until the third round. So it. He's going to have to be quote unquote due diligence and see what he can come up with to to plug some holes because offensively they're fine. They could use another lineman. They could use a tight end, and they'll probably draft those positions in the middle round. But I think the, early on you're going to see defense. Yeah, I think so too. You look at that. I mean, you've even heard a couple of people. I mean, you've seen heard rumblings. Even like a guy like Trey Wayne's. Another Kenosha native, former teammate of Melvin Gordon, obviously from Michigan State. You know he's up there in the in the top. You know between picks one and twenty, would he even be able to drop? And would the Packers look at him? And uh, you know, the, yeah, there's a lot. I think obviously you look at cornerback, you got to look at inside linebacker. Uh, but you even heard a lot of times. I mean, I and I guess let me ask you this. And obviously. Uh, I, I pretty much know the answer to this already, just based off the fact that I mean, look where uh, a guy like Melvin Gordon's going. But let's say, let's say hypothetically, purely hypothetical, and you hear about Ted Thompson always saying you draft the best available player. Let's say Melvin Gordon for some odd reason drops down to that, and he is the best available player. Do you still see Ted Thompson trading down to address a need like he did last year with with Haha Clinton Dix, where you know they didn't get a chance to get Mosley, C.J. Mosley out of Alabama? who it sounds like people, per what people have said, he wanted an inside linebacker in Mosley. Do you go for the guy with the best available pick, or do you trade down? Uh, and do you try to get more picks like that? I don't think he's going to trade down this year. He might. Um, he's not taking Gordon. That I, I mean, I know that we've seen weirder things happen, but he's not taking Gordon. Um, if, if one of the players that he covets isn't there, would he trade down and of the second round and add a third round pick, maybe. It's not going to be Melvin Gordon. You know, we're going to talk more about the Packers in a few minutes when Brian gets on. I got a question that's not Packer related. You look at every mock draft, and most of them, I saw a weird one that had Mariota going 12, but most of them have him going number two after Jameis Winston. Okay? Okay. I've heard rumblings now of. I don't know if you've heard. I've heard Cleveland's wanted to trade up to grab Mariota. Mariota. I know that uh, Chip Kelly and the Eagles have talked about it. Do you see? I guess it's a. It's kind of a two-parter. Is Mariota going to be the number two pick overall, and is he going to Tennessee, or was somebody going to trade up? Because Tennessee has a need too. I mean, Jake Locker retired out of nowhere, so it's not like they can't use a quarterback either. But I suppose the question is, if you're Tennessee or any team that be in that position. Do you think Mariota is a franchise quarterback? If you don't, then maybe it is smart to trade and grab the Mexican. You know, I, I think you're looking at Mariota when you, I mean, yeah, when you talk about Winston, I mean, there's even talks about possibly Mariota going first to the Buccaneers. Honestly, I I would say, I mean, and you even heard it today. I don't know if you ever heard about it. ESPN had reported that the Browns had offered two first round draft picks for, for Mar, you know, to the Titans for Mariota. Uh, to try to take him, which, I mean, obviously they're stumbling out of the blocks as well when it comes to uh, them looking for a, a player. Like, you know, they're looking for a player like, uh, for a quarterback, like you mentioned, you know, no man's, I mean, Manziel's coming back off of rehab. You have the fact that with the Packers, you know, with the, not the Packers, but um, looking at the the fact that you have but the overall trust, pick. But they don't trust them. I mean, and and they've been a mess anyway. If I'm Tennessee, I could play them like a fiddle because I'd want the 12 and the 19, obviously. I'd right. want those two from picks. Now, are you going to get your franchise quarterback this year there? No, but you could. But quarterback's not the only hole Tennessee has. So, right. you know, I, I would I would make that move in a heartbeat because I'll be honest. And again, I could I could easily be wrong. But I don't think Mariota is going to be a franchise quarterback. I don't think he's going to be a guy who's a perennial pro bowler. And uh, I think you're going to find out his deficiencies real fast when he gets to, to the NFL. And I think that if I'm Tennessee, 
much I would be giving everybody the impression that I love Mariota just so I can entertain trade offers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you get a lot of that too. You get a lot. It's kind of a weird season, and, and sometimes it doesn't really work well when it has the fact that, um, I mean, you know, trading down and you you play mind games and and everything like that. I mean, you you can do that, but you know, I mean, there's certain parts of it too that you've heard about people trying to say, you know, like spread rumors about a certain player just so that they fall to them and whatnot. Uh, but hopefully that doesn't happen too much. I mean, we know it does happen, but yeah, I it. I, I say, I mean, I think, I think Mariota does go, I, and I think there may be some trades involved. Uh, but you know, a buddy of mine made a joke about it too. But you know, saying, you know, oh, well, you know, Buccaneers have a first round draft pick, but Lovey's the head coach, so he'll go defense with Leonard Williams. I don't think that's going to happen, especially with the fact that you need, uh, I mean, the quarterback position at Tampa Bay is is rough. But uh, especially, I mean, Mike Lennon failed. You know, Kate McDowell's no longer there. Uh, so they need a franchise quarterback, but well, it would be funny if they went with a guy like Leonard Williams. So we'll it's see how funny, that. By the way, McCow- McCow- Josh McCown is actually in Cleveland. Just oh, yeah. to add to the intrigue, I mean, Cleveland, much like Philadelphia, could have a dearth of quarterbacks, but not necessarily any good ones or at least any game-changing ones. It's 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 kind of funny how both teams could end up set up that way. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, guys. Come back in just a minute with Brian Caribou from 24-7 Sports. Talk some more draft. This is the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Everybody, welcome back, and that might be the shortest break that we've had ever here at the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Just uh, running on all cylinders tonight. NFL draft, less than 24 hours away, emanating from Chicago. And to, who else better to talk about the NFL draft? We've had him on several times uh, in the past talking about the NFL draft. That he has his NFL draft preview, uh, which is always on Cheesehead TV. Uh, he's been with Cheesehead TV for a while. Now he's got his new gig. At 24/7 Sports, of course, though has his radio show Railbird Central, which I love. He just had Sam Barrington on uh, earlier today. We got Brian Caribou. Brian, my friend, happy new was it new drafts eve? I shall call it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what you call it, but uh, an exciting time of year. I love the NFL draft, and uh, excited to talk to you about it. Excellent. Now, Brian, before Jake starts asking you about how many Badgers are going to get drafted and which seventh-round sleeper guard that from Wisconsin is going to go somewhere, let's <laughs> let's delve into the Packers first because every year is a, a different roll of the dice with Ted Thompson, and he's very hard to predict, yet people still try to put mock drafts together and kind of get an idea where he's going to go. Um, obviously, the two needs, two biggest needs, cornerback, inside linebacker, uh, many people think uh, Jalen Collins or, or Marcus Peters will be their cornerback. Maybe Eric Kendricks, inside linebacker from UCLA. Any of those players are, are guys you think could get drafted? Could he go with someone else? Is there a pick out there that could shock us? Will he trade the pick? What do you think he's going to do, Brian? <laughs> I, I've kind of whittled it down to, I believe, six players I believe the Packers would take if they're available. And that seems like a little bit of an unruly number, and, and that's not really being too specific. Uh, you know, if the Packers had a top 10 pick, it would certainly be a whole lot easier. At the end of the first round, it's a little bit tougher to project who they might take. You mentioned a couple of them. I, I think, you know, between Eric Kendricks of UCLA, then there's Stefan Anthony of Clemson at the cornerback position, uh, Byron Jones of UConn, uh, Eric Rowe of Utah, and Marcus Peters of Washington, 
And then I'll throw in one defensive line, the Malcolm Brown of Texas, just because I think there's a chance he might drop a little bit. I think the Packers pick will be one of those six players. Uh, certainly, you know, I could be wrong, but, um, you, you know, a lot of inside linebackers and cornerbacks there, uh, I, I say it's almost like a 99% chance they go defense on for, during the first round. Uh, that's almost guaranteed. Um, but uh, those those are the names I'm looking at. Here with Brian Caribou. And, Brian, I think you squashed my, I think, many Badger fans that are Packer fans dream of Melvin Gordon uh, be, somehow being miraculously drafted by Ted Thompson at pick number 30. But uh, maybe mine, myself, who knows? Maybe that's just the homer in me. But, uh, you know, with, with that, uh, you know, the first round we're talking about, we're talking about where do you see a guy like uh, Melvin Gordon going? Obviously, you've heard, you've seen mock drafts, quote him, Ravens, Cowboys, even as high as 17th to the Chargers. But then you see Todd Gurley now from Georgia getting the AOK on the bill of health that he'll be able to compete in training camp. Uh, one, do you, where do you see Gordon going in this first round, if at, at all, first round? And two, do you think Gurley's now surpassing that he'll be the first running back taken in this draft? Uh, I do believe Gurley will be the first running back taken. There's even scuttlebutt that he'll be like a top five draft choice. I don't know if that's likely, but uh, I do think he's really talented. You know, there, there's kind of a, a trend here a little bit. It's only two-year trend that a running back hasn't been taken in the first round and the position kind of become devalued a little bit. But I like both these guys, both Gurley and Melvin Gordon. I think they're both first-round talents. I think they'll both go in the first round. I think if Gurley does come off the board real early, there's an even better chance that Melvin Gordon will go higher in the draft than many expect, maybe middle of round one, things like that, because I think they're really, really good. Um so, yeah, I, I love Melvin Gordon. Um, I, I always had to knock on him prior to this past season that he couldn't catch the ball out of the backfield. But, boy, he really showed me. He didn't catch a ton of balls this past year. But, boy, he made some really nice ones, like, far downfield for a running back. I, I was surprised how the Badgers actually used him in the passing game. And, and I think he can be used like that in the pros. Yeah, and, you know, just as a follow up about that, real quick too. Like, I, I we did some stats, and I did my own. Uh, we did a scouting report for Field Goals, which is the uh, SB Nation site that covers the the Seahawks. And and one of the things I, I realized that Gordon last year had 19 catches. Now that's not a lot, but that was almost you know that was about 10 percent of the production for the receiver. You know, for receivers, you know, uh, for targets for the Badgers that year. So I mean, and during pro day, he actually showed up pretty nicely uh, in catching the ball. I mean, it's the one thing he didn't do anything during pro day except for running routes and catching with. And you saw it with his hands, uh, making some plays. Yeah, uh, Melvin Gordon, I thought just made huge strides his junior season in terms of doing that because. You know, you saw prior to that his sophomore year that, uh, you know, you, you you didn't have questions about him running the ball. It was all about receiving and pass blocking, and maybe still a work in progress as a pass blocker a little bit, but I think the receiving is finally coming. You know, let's, let's go back to the Packers a little bit. And, you know, I've said that ever since Schneider and Dorsey and McKenzie left, the draft for Ted Thompson haven't, been as deep. He still made some good picks, but they haven't been as deep. Now, this is kind of a multi-part question, but for this draft to be successful, and obviously it takes a few years, three years, I think, before you can really rate it, but how many starters, A, have to come out of this, and what positions? Obviously, we've talked about cornerback, inside linebacker. You could probably use some more defensive and offensive line help, maybe tight ends, but, I mean, for this to be a successful draft for him, what what has to in a couple of years? What should we be saying about this draft? Well, I mean, obviously you want multiple starters to come out of it. Um, I I don't think the Packers even necessarily need a starter this year in terms of, and and you know, hang with me on this one. It, you know, people think they need a cornerback. I do think Casey Hayward can get the job done if need be if the guy they take, uh, you know, ends up not panning out. Likewise, I think the Packers are taking a wait-and-see approach with Clay Matthews, meaning he'll, he'll if they if the inside linebacker they take doesn't pan out, he'll end up playing a bit more there. 
you know, but that being said, if they take a inside linebacker in the first round and he ends up being a stud, then you're going to see Clay Matthews more on the outside. So, I mean, obviously, the more picks they hit on, the better the defense is going to be because, I mean, they've got to address, you know, the, those two positions, you know, probably on the first two days of the draft. Between the first three rounds, I wouldn't surprise me at all if they select both an inside linebacker and a cornerback. And uh, we're here with Brian Caribou from 24-7 Sports. Of course, follow him on Twitter, at Brian Caribou. And Brian, you know, maybe to, in terms of stepping back, not just from the Packers or even Badgers, but talking about the first round, Scotty and I were talking about, you know, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Uh, who do you, I mean, are you still predicting that the, the Buccaneers will choose Winston? Uh, and, and from there, I mean, what really happens after that first pick? And who do you see getting Mariota? Yeah, I, I think it'll play out like that. I mean, certainly it, you never know. It's The NFL draft is just so unpredictable. But I, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will end up taking Jameis Winston. He's kind of a Florida product and, and would fit in there. And, and yeah, I, I compare Jameis Winston a lot to uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Just, you know, in terms of their style, they're, they're kind of the same and, and kind of in their, their off-field concerns, too. Uh, but, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, they stuck with Ben Roethlisberger, and he's doing just fine for him on the field. And, you know, if Winston can just, you know, avoid any big problems, he can probably be the same type of player. Uh, yeah, after that, uh, it's, it certainly looks like Marcus Mariota would be the second player off the board, whether that's two um, uh, the, the the team there, or or whether it, it ends up getting traded, uh, certainly a lot of speculation about that as of late. Uh, rumors that the Browns want to move up to number two. Uh, there's kind of a lot of rumors whether that's even true or not, but that was talk, discussed a lot today um, on social media and whatever. But uh, so yeah, I mean, those two guys probably going to come off the board early in the draft. And, uh, you know, Leonard Williams is going to be right up there as well. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And, and I think now that they've spread this thing out to three days, you get a little bit more discussion. It's already been, you know, one of the more watched things, but, uh, you know, on TV nowadays. But it's funny because it, it just goes to show you, like, because I'm not a believer in Mariota. And I think Winston can be an NFL talent. I don't know that Mariota can. Now, I'm not a scout, and I don't pretend to be one, but it just goes to show you how important, sometimes overvalued, definitely um, you need to have a quarterback, it seems, be the face of your franchise. And teams will, in this case, draft a guy like Marcus Mariota, who in four years, you might be shaking your head going, boy, I can't believe he was the number two pick overall. But it just it just goes to show you how quarterbacks are, are the stir that the, the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak. Yeah, you got to have a quarterback to be successful in the NFL. I mean, it, and if you, if you don't have a, an elite quarterback, you have to have at least to have a game manager. Uh, I think Marcus Mariota is going to be a good one. Uh, he might be best served – kind of in the way that Aaron Rodgers was, if he can get go to a place and kind of watch for a while and develop, I, I know if he's going high in the draft, those teams don't always have that luxury. Uh, sometimes I wonder if, it, if you know, going to Chicago, uh, the, the division rival of the Packers might be the best place for them where they're kind of, they're roped in that Jay Cutler there no matter what. And if Marcus Mariota can just kind of be the backup there for a year or two and then ready to take over, I don't know if he falls that far, but I think it'd be a good situation for him. We're here with Brian Caribou from 24-7 Sports and kind of talking a little bit about, uh, of course, the NFL draft. It is New Year's New Drafts Eve, as I'll refer to it tonight. And looking at that, uh, which, uh, in terms of talent, which talent do you think uh, have maybe their, in terms of their draft stock has fallen uh, in recent weeks, uh, even in recent days? Uh, but also, who are some sleepers in this draft that, uh, not necessarily obviously first round or whatnot, but down the road, you know, down in the the, the rounds 
who do you think could really uh, pop out and surprise some people? Yeah, as far as guys whose stock has dropped, uh, kind of two edge defenders, defensive ends, outside linebackers, whatever you kind of want to call them, kind of depends what system they get drafted into. But both Shane Ray of Missouri and Randy Gregory of Nebraska, uh, both, you know, Ray just getting citation for marijuana possession on Monday. Gregory reportedly uh, failed the drug test at the NFL Combine. You know, there's talk about these guys falling to where the Packers pick at number 30, maybe even falling out of the first round entirely. Uh, boy, I, I think the Packers, you know, they're there when the Packers pick. I, I, I don't see him taking these guys um, just because I think, you know, there's, there's bigger needs at other positions and, and good players as well. Um, as far as the sleeper, I'll give you this one name, and I mentioned him just briefly earlier, Eric Rowe. Uh, of uh, Utah, I don't think people are talking. Uh, he's not like off the radar by any means, but I think people are talking about him more as like a day two kind of guy. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if if the if he ends up being the Packers' first round pick. And I I'm kind of piggybacking a little bit off uh, Tony Pauline of DraftInsider.net who who said the same thing yesterday. Um, but but I really do think it, it is a possibility. Uh, he's very much a Richard Sherman-like cornerback. He's very tall, but he ran a 4-3-40 at the NFL Combine. So, you know, sometimes when you get these tall cornerbacks, they don't have the speed. This guy does, and he's really, really physical. I like him a lot. Um, so he could definitely be a target in the first round, one of those sleeper kind of guys. Excellent, excellent, Brian. Before I let, uh, I don't know if Scott's got anything else, but my last question. No, no, no. It, I'm, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm waiting for this to unfold. I'm actually going to have more fun getting a chance to talk to Brian after the draft and saying, "Hey, what did you think of this? And did this surprise you? And we didn't see this coming." Because right now, it's all, it's a lot of it's conjecture, and like I, like we talked about before Brian joined us, there'll be some trades that are going to be made. There's going to be some things that shake up, and we're going to be kind of picking up the pieces afterwards, wondering, you know, what changed and how things went off the rails. Not necessarily in a bad way, but right. to me it's more fun to break it all down afterwards, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, my last question for you, Brian, is is uh, pretty easy, obviously. And Scotty kind of – he hit it on the head. Let's talk about some Badgers real quick. You have Robbie Havenstein, right tackle, obviously. We talked about him earlier in, in the spring, talking about how – Necessarily didn't didn't perform well at the combine in terms, especially with the bench. But he improved that in his pro day uh, earlier in March. Uh, but what about Robbie Havenson? Is there any other Badgers uh, looking at? Maybe Warren Herring as a late round pick. He had a decent pro day. Do you see anybody like that, or even like a Jake Kumaro from UW Whitewater, uh, possibly being drafted late? Yeah, Havenstein will get uh, drafted. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Probably early day three. Uh, again, it's it's all conjecture, like you guys said. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, a round or two, you know, plus or minus. Uh, but uh, you know, your prototypical right tackle, I think, can be a very good right tackle in the NFL. Um, uh, the the you know combine performance personally doesn't you know, um, bother me too much. I remember, you know, there was so much said about Travis Frederick, a, a fellow Wisconsin offensive lineman uh, a year ago about his poor performance. And, you know, look how he did uh, in the NFL. He's doing just fine for himself despite having poor measurables. Um, uh, the, yeah, I think the next best player from Wisconsin is probably Warren Herring, but I doubt he gets drafted simply because of the injury this past season. Um, uh, he, you know, he was kind of used out of place a little bit as maybe a, a nose tackle in a 3-4 at Wisconsin. I'm not really sure that was his forte, uh, but I do think if he gets into a system where he can play, uh, you know, not the zero technique, uh, he'll end up being a little bit better. And, and Kumaro, uh, you know, maybe there's a team out there that does take a, a, a late-round flyer on him uh, you know, you saw the Packers the past two seasons take Division Two guys, uh, Charles Johnson in 2013 and just last year Jeff Janis in 2014. So, you know, Jake Kumaro, you know, he, 
we we know him here being from Wisconsin, but oh. it, you know, people nationwide might not know him. Oh. NFL scouts do. He was at the NFLPA All Star Game. They got to know him there. Uh, you know, he's an absolutely huge target, and uh, yeah, it, it's possible he could be somebody take a late round flyer on him. Awesome. Brian, as always, my friend, you are a gentleman and you're a football scholar, uh, and we love having you on the show. We'd love, like Scotty said, to break it down with you in a couple weeks, uh, talking about the bat, you know, talking about where, uh, the, who the Packers picked for their for their with the nine picks they have so far, uh, along with uh, just all the other talk that surrounds the NFL draft. Uh, thank you again. Yeah, sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me on. We'll break it down at another point in time. Excellent. Thanks, Excellent. Guys, yeah, thanks Brian. Thanks. Thank you. And guys, that's Brian Caribou from 24-7 Sports. Make sure you guys follow him again at Brian Caribou. And uh, like I said, that was great. There's always great analysis from him. He, his new gig uh, over at 24-7 Sports and, and just his, his show, Railbird Central. Make sure you guys check that out. He had one of our favorite Packers to talk to, uh, Sam Barrington, on earlier today. Uh, and Sam should probably assume a good leadership role uh, in, at the inside linebacker position this season. Obviously, with the, you know, with the loss of Jamari Lattimore and A.J. Hawk, uh, those two linebackers going. So uh, on that note, uh, transitioning, uh, Scotty, of course, it's about 8.30 right now. I got one of the twins in my hand uh, trying to rock him to sleep. But uh, did you get a chance to take a look or listen or watch or uh, anything from the Wisconsin uh, spring game on Saturday? Uh, not a whole lot, um, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, a lot going on. Uh, you know some of it. Um, we preparation for a big uh, ch- uh, fundraising charity show coming up. So we had some of that. We were working on Saturday, and so no, I did not get to uh, to see a whole lot of it. But uh, um, I know that you followed it, and you were probably uh, you know way more in position to talk about it. But so why don't you uh, tell us your? T- I mean. What uh, what out of this did you see that you were impressed with? What are things that surprised you maybe uh, to the other side? Maybe you thought you'd see some better play at a certain position. Um, obviously, the quarterback position, we talked about in the NFL, but same with uh, college, you know, how did that shake down? How did Stave look? What's, what's, what was your take on the spring game on Saturday? Oh, the spring game, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of people say, it's, you know, it is only one one game. It's only it's a glorified scrimmage. It's a game we we got to go out there. Actually, the family and I, I was there in a non-media capacity. Uh, we had uh, we took the the twins, we took our three-year-old Eli out, and he lasted about a quarter until he melted down in front of Ron Dane. So that was fun. But uh, after that, we, you know, looking at that and I'm watching the game, uh, rewatched it again, and just what you heard from the, you know, uh, kind of the whole from the spring. You gotta like what the de- you know the first team defense is doing, uh, and maybe the one more surprising things is the inside linebacker position. You you lost, the, you know the Badgers lost Dan- Derek Landish. They lost Marcus Trotter, the two inside linebackers who could you know 177 tackles, 28 tackles for loss, and 12 and a half sacks uh, between the two of them last season. So that, I mean, and you lost some leaders, but Leon Jacobs is vastly more athletic than both of them. Uh, but he he looked well, and he had T.J. Edwards, who was a converted quarterback, converted outside line. You know that was in high school. He converted to outside linebacker last year for the Badgers. Uh, showed some flash in the summer camp uh, practices that I attended, but he played well. And uh, I mean they combined for about 17 tackles on Saturday. But you've heard media reports, and I wasn't able to get out to spring practices not enough this year. You look at the fact that Edwards uh, really improved throughout the season. And from anyone he talked to, even our friend uh, John Veldheis from Badger Blitz, talking to him uh, in the Q&A we had today, he was very impressed with the progression. And Dave Aranda even noted that he, he's starting to wipe out those negative plays. And this is a guy that's only in his, in his second year in the system. So that's really a solid sign. That, I mean, along with Beagle, Vince Beagle and Joe Schobert, the outside linebackers, you're looking at probably the most athletic set of linebackers uh, you've seen at UW. And that, that's, you know, it's high praise. I think it's high praise just, the fact that, I mean, you have a guy like Chris Borland who, you know, seasons past played really well. Um, and he's, of course, quite athletic, but I think this 
you know, if these this quartet, if these four players can stay healthy, you're looking at a really solid group, in my opinion. Now, there's still depth concerns at inside linebacker. They're getting some freshmen in, uh, and we'll see where that takes them uh, throughout, you know, the fall. And uh, But Soldier and Shelton looked really solid uh, throughout the spring from what you've heard. It seems like every practice he had some form of an interception. Our Kevin O'Connell talked with him and just said he's, he's kind of found his, his swag, his confidence back from what he had said, saying he's, he's attacking and going after the ball, something you really didn't see last season. Uh, in terms of Joel Stave, like you mentioned, uh, you look at the fact that Stave, he only had one series on Saturday, but was 2-2, two two, perfect for 55 yards, had a nice touchdown pass to Rob Wheelwright, uh, which was uh, – he played very well in the spring game, seven catches, 79 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, but uh, Stave, I mean, it looked like in the two passes that he threw – they're on the money. They're where they should be. Uh, one was a 35-yard uh, out and up to Alex Erickson, and that actually looked like a really good pass. It wasn't underthrown like you've seen sometimes where you've seen the receivers have some go up and get it. He he was there. He connected, and it was in stride, which is something that you want to see. Uh, but Paul Chris had some interesting comments about him even during the spring. And Neil Stavi, you know, during spring practice, he's trying new things. He's He is the starter this year. Uh, there, and, and Paul Christ announced that at the beginning of, um, of of spring camp, saying Stave is the starter. And, and so it allowed him to try some things, be a little bit more experimented in terms of like trying to throw a little early, see what he can do, try to just hone in on things uh, while knowing that no one's over his back. And I think, I think it will help him. But Chris did note that Stave still needs to get – a little bit more comfortable with the offense and trust the receivers. So he's hoping the summer will do that. Uh, but uh, one position I would say that you mentioned being a little bit more worrisome is something that's been a strength, Scotty, for the past however many years for the Wisconsin Badgers. And that's the offensive line. Uh, you had Dan mm-hmm. Volt, you had Ray Ball out, uh, the center and left guard uh, respectively that were out for the spring game and out for a decent part of the spring. At least Volt was. Ball was injured the last uh, practice did not play. Uh, but you look at the fact that they moved in Michael Dieter, who's supposed to be the starting right guard to center. And then they, they put in Walker Williams, a junior in the right guard. And, uh, you know, they basically, or he went over to left guard. And then Bo uh, Benchowal uh, from Grafton came in and played right guard. So there's not a lot of continuity. Some guys got some much needed reps. And even last year, there's talk about this, about the old line depth over the past two years about, this team not necessarily having the depth it had in the past. My thing, though, this year might be a little bit even more concerning because you have Volt, uh, Ray Ball's going to be a first-year starter, and he played very well in the outback bowl, and he was a key reserve the past two years for the Badgers. Uh, but, uh, you know, they have, some, they have some question marks on that right side of the line. Like John Veltai said last week, Hayden Beagle, uh, first-year starter. He's not going to be a Robbie Havenstein. There will be days where he, get beat, where he gets beat. Uh, you didn't really hear much of it Saturday. Uh, but, you know, he's, he'll have some growing pains, and Dieter's going to be a starting right guard. Uh, it, you know, there's some cause for concern on that offensive line. Uh, but maybe the only other place I would say is the depth at inside linebacker. It seems like they have their starters ready, but who will back them up in case someone's going to be injured? They're going to get dinged up. Will it be a Nick Thomas, who was an early enrollee? Or will it be a guy that, you know, got, you know kids that come in, like, uh, you know, Dakota Dixon that uh, coming back off an of injury, uh, who played a little bit last year before redshirting? So there's some question marks on depth there, but yeah. you know, there's really, there's really just not a lot I would say in terms of. There's not really major questions that I would say the starters. It's just the de- certain depth, and I mean the offensive line as a whole. Like I don't see anybody else stepping up to to replace who is supposed to be projected there. Yeah, it, it'll take a while to rebuild some of that because. Even though it was only two years, Gary Anderson's idea of what he wanted this offense to look like if he would have stayed a couple more years is diametrically different than what Christ is doing and what Bielema did before him, you know. So Oh absolutely. Um, you know, so I, I think you'll see that, that get restocked. So it'll be interesting as we get into the you know, get closer into it when, when the, the students enroll that haven't enrolled yet that it'll be be interesting to see if there is somebody, some you know, freshman that kind of stands out and and can push the pile. A couple more segments we want to get into here. I got something I want to go into a little diatribe about the Brewers. Uh, we can do that 
later if you want. And then obviously the Bucks are still alive, and nobody is happier about it. Believe it or not, there's a city that's even more happy about the Bucks still being alive than Milwaukee, and it's Cleveland. Because while it's unlikely Kevin Love is going to be back with the separated shoulder, the longer this series goes, the better the chance that maybe he'll be able to get into the series, the upcoming series, if it's the Bulls in Cleveland, let's say. Maybe by the end of that series, doubtful. But nonetheless, uh, the Bucks are won two in a row. And, and I know you should be happy about it, but they should be up 3-2. They gave a game away in game three. Like the Bucks could be having a closeout game tomorrow if they if they would have you know finished and taken care of business. But they 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 do have the Bulls' attention now. They have them on their heels. They will be home tomorrow. Now I don't know how big of a home crowd advantage they're going to have for two reasons. Number one, the Bulls fans have done a really good job filling up a lot of the Bradley Center, and two, they're going up against the NFL draft, and and you know Packers always trumps anything in the state, but. They're going to try to push for a game seven and, and do it at home, but it's not necessarily going to be uh, a, a, a all pro bucks crowd. And that's, and, you know, that, that, that bulls crowd included, by the way, my future brother-in-law Casey, who saw them lose uh, you know, a few days ago. So I found that, yeah. And you know, there's going to, there's, I heard there's a lot less bulls fans, I think for game four than there was for game three. Uh, you'll still hear them, but, uh, you know, it, it's really interesting, and you mentioned Cleveland and the fact. I mean, now Kevin Love's out with that injury, with that shoulder injury. And I mean, that's going to be for the foreseeable future. He's, they're not prepped. They don't think he's going to come back this year. Uh, and, and so, I mean, that's that's a devastating blow to a big three. And I, you know, it, it's with the way that the everything has gone with with the Bucks. I think there's a lot more confidence on them. You know, this is my bold pick, take and my bold prediction. Lord knows, I hope I don't jinx them. But they've done so well. I think they're going to win this series. I think they win the last two the last two games. Uh, maybe that's a little bit of homerism. Who knows? But I, I yeah. think I think they I think they win tomorrow. I think there's I think the confidence is on their side. No teams come back from 3-0 in this in this series uh, in this part of the NBA playoffs. What happens then? You know, with the way that they've improved each game. Like the first game on ESPN that I watched, didn't you know, missing free throws, missing shots, turnover, sloppy play. They've gotten better and better. And they got the Bulls on their heels. And look at all the block shots. Look at all the steals that this Jason Kidd defense is is doing. And so uh, maybe I'm drinking the Kool Aid. Maybe I'm drinking the. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think I think you are a little bit. The Bulls are the better team for one. Um, I, I can't wait to see what the Bucks are going to look like when they have a healthy Curry and they're able to 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 you know continue to build off this don't get me wrong but here's the other stat you got to remember not only has no a team never come back from 3-0 but the the likelihood of a road team winning a game seven in the nba playoffs you've seen that number it's very unlikely so i think it's a tough uphill road but that doesn't diminish anything again if man if you could just have game three back uh, then then we'd be you know then i'd probably be on board with you but uh you know, it, it's interesting. The Bucks still offensively, their half-court offense is still challenged, okay? Um, the fact that they're able to force turnovers and play defense is, certainly has been great. Um, but as you look to the future, offensively, especially in the half-court offense, they, they need to get better. Um, and, again, it's about matchups because if, if, if somehow Toronto would have gotten, you know, one more win in here or the Bulls would have lost to Atlanta, I think the Bucks would have beaten Toronto – I think the series had been over already, and they'd be awaiting their next opponent, you know. So um, they'd be awaiting Atlanta or Brooklyn, who Atlanta won today. They've gone up 3-2 now. But um, I think it's – it's. Uh, I just – I think it's unfortunate uh, that the matchup with the Bulls, because I think the Bulls just match up a little bit better. But I hope you're right. It'd be nice, but I, I don't see it. Uh, but I still think it was a – a nice building block series for this Milwaukee team. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you have the fact that uh, you have so much to build for. And you know what I think, and a lot of people have talked about this on social media. What about the fact that like it does for the stadium talk? Everyone's on. Oh, we don't want a stadium. Imagine if this team was, if the team was supposed to go the twenty-five, thirty wins, if that, and still stay in the lottery. 
You know what I mean? And, and, and people are still trying to get the stadium done. You have the fact that look at what this team's done, winning only, what, 15 games last year, now heading into 41-41. and 41. So a 26-game improvement. And then on top of that, putting the Bulls on their heels. And whether or not they win tomorrow, whether or not they win, if they do force a game seven. But the fact that they've gotten excitement up, uh, along with the, you know now with the new color scheme, the new district and what they're proposing, uh, you look at the fact that there's excitement, there's a buzz, and it's something you haven't seen with Bucks basketball in quite a while. No, you're right. Uh, and, and it also kind of points out one thing that – I'm I'm so sick and tired of Milwaukee when it comes to the NBA um, being treated like the proverbial redheaded stepchild because I don't care how good Golden State was and I don't care how good Atlanta was with their five all stars you you have to you can explain it till you're blue in the face but how Jason Kidd wasn't the NBA coach of the year when he tripled this team's win total. After losing his first-round pick, the number two pick overall, uh, in December, and having his next best player traded away um, at the All-Star break, you tell me how he's not coach of the year. Oh, absolutely, and that's uh, you know, and there's a lot to be made, obviously, with with how he entered the picture and Larry Drew being uh, not knowing that he was be- he was being left, and and obviously you know, worries about even uh, a guy like John Hammond, who maybe was, I mean, from what it seems like all interest, you know, just from outside looking in, and we're, we have no inside information whatsoever, but, you know, it's just the fact that, you know, it just, it seemed like uh, maybe John Hammond was a little, you know, his hands were tied underneath the old leadership, uh, but look what he's done now. I mean, you bring over, you know, look what, who they drafted, obviously, and then, just some of the trades you trade for the future. And, and now you're seeing what you know, a guy like Michael Carter Williams, what NCW did, some of the potential that he had, and he showed it in game five uh, with, with the performance that he had. Yeah, um, but he's still, an, he's still an offensive dud, but uh, for the most part, but I think he might grow and mature under Jason Kidd. I just, I just don't get like, what what's the criteria? Because uh, you know, when, when teams are winning games, uh, winning teams are, are you know, they're supposed to win because they're good. The Bucks weren't supposed to do anything. Many people thought maybe maybe a twenty win team. They win forty one games, and he's not the coach of the year. I I, I just don't get it. Yeah, but you can't uh, you can't really negate what the Atlanta Hawks coach coached. They like Bodenhausen is his name or whatever. Uh, I mean, he he did a stand up job with a, a group of yeah yeah really nobody you know they all talk about the nobodies but no big superstars and so I kind of give I kind of give the benefit of the doubt there just because of the fact that he what he did uh, with with that Atlanta team that didn't necessarily have that uh, you know a, a big three or, or you know and so they sort of followed the you know kind of the, I mean obviously he came from the San Antonio Spurs so I see that. Kerr getting second, uh, I mean, he did improve the team from what they played last year, but, I mean, that team was going to be great no matter what. Yeah, they and were so, on the rise already. I mean, people were picking them to be maybe not win 60-plus games, but being right there in the mix. So I I don't, under, I, I just, I don't understand it. Understandable, understandable. But do you think they win tomorrow night? I think they have a chance, but if, it, but they won't win game seven in Chicago. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, going from there, we look ahead. Brewers, we mentioned earlier, won eight to three today against the. Uh, you're going to say that, you know, against the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's nice to see Ryan Brown get a multi-homer game. Uh, one was to right, the other one, which seems a little bit more promising, the fact that he hit to left center. So not necessarily, he's never necessarily been a, obviously a dead pull hitter, but the fact that he's starting to kind of come around on that swing a little bit. Uh, but still uh, another series lost as they, they had in the Chicago for the weekend. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll tell you what. This team, you know, we're getting to the point now where we might just have to, you know, blow this team up. We talked about it last week. Maybe you trade Ryan Braun. Maybe you trade Gomez. Maybe you trade Loach. Oh, maybe you trade Adam Lynn because he's one of the only guys that's hitting, so he's got some value. Um, and you have to rebuild it. But – Here's something I noticed. So, watching the Timber Rattlers play, 
the St. Louis affiliate, okay? And I'm watching this single A team from St. Louis and uh you know, St. Louis organization, okay? And how they prepare differently than the way the Timber Rattlers do. And I started to put it all together. I think this is a system a systematic deficiency, okay? I think that from the top down, you know, certain organizations, you know, everybody talks about the Packer way, right? Everybody talks about uh, the Yankee way, the St. Louis Cardinal way, okay? There's a way they prepare these guys from the time they draft them all the way up to the time they get to the pros, and it works. And it's time to blow up this organization and start by putting in a, a general manager who's cut from that same cloth who has a systematic belief of the way things should be handled from rookie ball all the way up to, to the big leagues. And, I mean, me and a buddy of mine were joking about it. If I were a scout, I wouldn't even watch any player. I'd watch to see who the St. Louis scouts were watching because they seem to get it right all the time. So <laughs> I'd send scouts just to scout the St. Louis scouts. Yeah. But I guess my point is there has to be – a systematic accountability of the way we do it. You don't ever you hear people talk about New York Yankee baseball, Boston Red Sox, the Red Sox way, the Cardinal way. You don't hear about the Brewer way because the Brewer way is draft a bunch of all or nothing guys, draft a bunch of pitchers, high school pitchers with with questionable arms, and uh, never hold people accountable for their bad base running or for their fielding gaffes or for their lack of baseball IQ. And, and that's the uh, – sadly, I hate to say it, but that's the Brewer way. And that Brewer way, they had some talent that kept them on the fringes, won a wild card, won a division title in that mix. But they're never going to be a consistent contender unless they – there's two ways to do it. You can do it the St. Louis way. You can do it the Oakland way, which is a quintessential small market way. But it still starts with good drafts for both teams for both organizations. And uh, until that farm system is restocked and retooled, even if the Brewers would have come out of the gate and been contending, even if they could have been, like we talked about, an 85 or 86-win team this year, right? Where's the depth? Where's the organizational depth? You know, they'd be in what they call baseball hell, where they'd be good enough to compete, but never really a, a, a World Series contender. So... It's got to change, and the philosophy has to change. The mentality has to change. The process has to change, and it's not going to be easy. It could take three or four years, but you've got to commit to the process. Don't fall back to the late 90s and early 2000s way where you didn't want to rebuild completely, so you'd grab a bunch of hanger-oners like Jeffrey Hammonds and Marquise Grissom. Marquise Grissom was a fine ball player, but he didn't want to be a fine ball player in Milwaukee. He was at the end mm -hmm. of his career, and he didn't like it here. Don't be that team. Don't bring in a Jeffrey Leonard just to bring him in just because he's a name and people have heard of him. Commit to the rebuild and do it the right way. Right, sort of like what the Bucks did, what they're supposed to do, and then next thing you know, they're <laughs> winning the playoffs. But yeah, uh, right, right. So yeah, you know, I agree, I agree. And it, I mean, they're five and seventeen right now. Uh, someone did note that I mean, there's 140 games left or so, and they're they're only seven games out of the first place, which small consolation prize, oh, I guess. I uh, just just saying, just throwing it out there, just trying to be optimistic, not Homer, just somewhat optimistic out of the the cloudiness and the. The, the rough uh, the rough start that they've had, obviously. Uh, but we'll see if they can rebound. We'll see what happens. Obviously, it sounds like Carlos Gomez uh, might be coming off the disabled list sometime soon. Uh, can, yeah, can tomorrow, I, uh, Friday, they, they expect him to be activated Friday. So. And so well, if you get, you know, LeBron, if, he's, if this is a good sign, you know, a positive trend of him going forward, if Aramis Ramirez continues to hit, uh, if you can get a guy, you know, if, you can, if Lynn continues doing what he does, uh, that that'd be huge. The biggest thing though is is pitching, and Garza had a good start today. But can you get Loesch back on from a one and four start? Can can Jimmy Nelson rebound from a rough outing last yesterday or the day before? Uh, you know this. Obviously, there's plenty more question marks. But the hitting, the hitting can start turning around and help the offense. That's uh, obviously it's not the end all be all. It's not going to cure everything, but at least it's a positive sign going forward. 
So let, uh, let me let me put something into perspective for you, okay? Gotcha. Uh, going back, let's go back to last June, and I'm gonna do. Let's see, one, two, three, four, 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 five, six, seven, four, eight, four, nine, five, ten. You can fifteen. I know this is this isn't great radio here, but uh, <laughs> two divided by three and nineteen. Okay, so so since August twenty sixth of last year, they are fourteen and forty. Okay, fourteen and forty. Now here's the other thing that that unfortunately epitomizes Brewer baseball. They are very weak-minded. They are very mental, um, mentally fragile. And it goes back to, you think about it. Remember a couple of years ago when Fielder and Braun and all they did was piss and moan about where they batted in the batting order and J.J. Hardy and where he had a bat in a batting order to feel comfortable. They don't handle adversity very well. They collapsed last year, okay? They collapsed. And I don't think they got over it. Do you think it's a coincidence that the only guy who came out of the block hitting was Adam Lind? Because he wasn't here to sit through that last year. Right. I don't think they recovered mentally. I don't think they're a mentally tough team. They don't. They aren't like the Red Sox. They aren't like St. Louis. They don't handle adversity. They folded up. There's no better way. I'm sorry. I'm not. They didn't quit. I'm not going to call them quitters. But they folded up the tents last year. They pressed too hard. They white knuckled. They folded. I went back to Ned Yost. Ned Yost did that here in the, in the year, first year they made the playoffs. They are not a franchise made up of guys who have grit. So, again, you got to rebuild it, and you got to start by bringing in guys who can handle that, that can handle that adversity. And that, I mean, it'll make you uh, – We'll see what they can do, and we'll see. I mean, honestly, the, the ones that are coming up, and 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 you look up at what they're, uh, said, yeah, it, it, they, they, who's coming up in the talent? I mean, there's not a lot of, of hope with that, just because the farm system is just not where it is. And you had that clear, distinct uh, description about the Timber Rattlers taking on the St. Louis affiliate right now, uh, and and seeing what what's going on there. So uh, you hope for some change. You'll see what happens, and, and you'll see if this, this Brewers team can compete, uh, if they can get back up on their feet. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, they have Chicago this weekend, and then they come home uh, as well. And so uh, they start a homestand next week, uh, which we'll cover. And on top of that, anything else that's uh, big coming up for you? Anything that, that's on your mind well, or anything? Well, real quick. Real, real quick as we end. By the way, 14 and 40 if you extrapolate that out over 162 Oof. games, it would be a 42 and 120, which would be the third worst record in baseball history. But anyway, um, the only other thing I want to end on, and I'm sure we'll do a show before May 17th, but you need to be at this charity event. Rebels of Wrestling has their reunion show. They're raising money for Diablo, a wrestler who passed away, Jermaine. Um, I will be wrestling. I'm getting close to the end of my in-ring career. Uh, Chaos will be ending his career uh, that day. You need to come out. It's in Hubertus slash Richfield at the Chalet. Uh, we will put up a link on our uh, Facebook page, I'm sure. Absolutely, and on Twitter, and, and on Twitter as well. Yeah, so and, and are you coming out, Jake? Are we going to see you? Uh, I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to. We'll oh. see. Come yeah, I know. on, man. I know, I know. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Like I said, uh, we don't have anything planned yet, but I will I will make the effort. Uh, if I, and we just got to check to make sure everything is good to go. But uh, I, I, I do plan on, uh, yeah, I, I do hope to check that out. I promise, brother. All right. So that's all I have. Excellent. Yeah, on that note, I'm, I'm pretty much sound as a pound. Uh, check back next week, guys. We will break down. Everything going on, coming up, uh, obviously going on. Uh, next week, NFL draft. Uh, we whoever, whatever happens in terms of who the Packers pick, obviously we'll be making the phone calls, trying to get some uh, players to jump on the show before we join Bucky's fifth quarter. Uh, we, we had uh, Dayton Jones on the year before. We had 
Uh, a couple other players, uh, Jonathan Franklin, who no longer is playing just due to the fact of the injury. We had a, uh, we had David Bakhtiari, who was awesome. Uh, so hopefully we can get some draft picks on for the Packers. Also talk with some Badgers. See, uh, been talks with you know, see if we can get Melvin Gordon, Rob Havenstein, and uh, others on as well. So uh, we'll make sure you tune back in with us and our and our cousins over at the Bucky's Fifth Quarter with uh, the fact that you have uh, our Men in Red show. Uh, check back in. It'll be a lot of fun. Thank you guys again. Follow us at B5Q. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll check back in, you know, com- coming up, and, and uh, we'll see who they pick up. So uh, other than that, brother, I'm um, good to take it home from there. Sounds good. Oh, and, and by the way, so one last brewer thing that will hurt you, okay? Uh, and over the course of the last 40 games, okay, they went from being six up in their division to ten down. They lost sixteen games in the standings since last September sixth. So anyway, there you have it. <laughs> awesome. On that note, have a happy rest of the week, guys. We'll check back in with you guys. This is the Kobasta King Sports Extravaganza, of course, powered by Bucky's fifth quarter. Dozo Bachenya, my friends. Accordion solo, American Polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Records.